Today we're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto number 10, chapter number 49, Akura's mission in Hastinapur. And I'll give you some background first about this, and we'll talk about why it's important. This is the summary to chapter 49. This chapter describes how Akura went to Hastinapur, saw Dhritarashtra's unfair behavior toward his nephews, the Pandavas, and then returned to Mathura. On the order of Lord Krishna, Akura went to Hastinapur, where he met the Kauravas and Pandavas, and then set out to find out how Dhritarashtra was treating the latter. This task would keep Akura in Hastinapur for several months. Vidura and Kunti Devi described to Akrura in detail how Dhritarashtra's sons, envious of the exalted qualities of the Pandavas, had tried to destroy them by various evil means and were contemplating further atrocities. With tearful eyes, Kunti Devi asked Akrura, do my parents and other relatives headed by Krishna and Balaram ever think of me and my sons? And will Krishna ever come to console us in our distress? Then Kunti Devi began to chant Lord Krishna's names for her protection, and she also chanted mantras expressing surrender to him. Akrura assured Kunti Devi, since your sons were born from demigods like Dharma and Vayu, there is no reason to expect that any, any misfortune will befall them. Rather, you should be confident that very soon they will receive the greatest possible good fortune. Akrura then delivered to Dhritarashtra the message from Krishna and Balaram. Akrura told the king, You have assumed the royal throne after the death of Pandu, seeing all equally, which is the religious duty of the kings. You should protect all your subjects and personal relations. By such fair behavior, you will gain all fame and good fortune. But if you act otherwise, you will attain only infamy in this life and condemnation to a hellish existence in the next. A living being takes his birth all alone, and alone he gives up his life. Alone he enjoys the fruits of his piety and sin. If one fails to understand the true identity of the self and instead maintains his progeny by indulging in evil deeds, then surely he will go to hell. One should therefore learn to understand the unsteadiness of material existence, which is like a sleeper's dream, a magician's illusion, or a flight of fancy, and should thus control his mind in order to remain peaceful and equipoised. To this, Dhritarashtra replied, I cannot hear enough of your beneficial words, O Akura, which are like the sweet nectar of immortality, but because the tight knot of affection for my sons has made me biased toward them. Your statements cannot become fixed within my mind. No one can transgress the arrangement of the Supreme Lord. His purpose for descending into the Yadu dynasty will inevitably be fulfilled. Knowing now the mentality of Dhritarashtra, Akura then, Akura took permission from his dear relatives and friends and returned to Mathura where he related everything to Lord Krishna and Lord Balaram. Text number one. Shukadeva Goswami said, Akura 
went to Hastinapur, the city distinguished by the glory of the Parava rulers. There he saw Dhritarashtra, Bhishma, Vidura, and Kunti, along with Bhalika and his son Somadatta. He also saw Dronacharya, Kripacharya, Karna, Duryodhan, Ashvatama, the Pandavas, and other close, close friends. After Kurra, the son of Gandhani, had appropriately greeted all his relatives and friends, they asked him for news of their family members, and he in turn asked about their welfare. He remained in Hastinapur for several months to scrutinize the conduct of the weak-willed king who had bad sons and who was inclined to give in to the whims of mischievous advisors. So the word for word, Uvasa resided Katichit some Masan months, Ragna of King Dhritarashtra, Vrita, the activity, Vivitsaya, with the desire of finding out, Dushprapjasya, whose sons were wicked, Alpa, weak, Sarasya, whose determination, Kala, of mischievous persons like Karna, Chanda, the desires, Anuvartinaha, who tended to follow. He remained in Hastinapur for several months to scrutinize the conduct of the weak-willed king who had bad sons and who was inclined to give in to the whims of his mischievous advisors. Kunti and Vidura described to Akura in detail the evil intentions of Dhritarashtra's sons who could not tolerate the great qualities of Kunti's sons, such as their powerful influence, military skill, physical strength, bravery, and humility, or the intense affection the citizens had for them. Kunti and Vidura also told Akura about how the sons of Dhritarashtra had tried to poison the Pandavas and carry out other such plots. Kunti Devi, taking advantage of her brother Akura's visit, approached him confidentially. While remembering her birthplace, she spoke with tears in her eyes. Queen Kunti said, O oh, gentle one, do my parents, brothers, sisters, nephews, family women and girlhood friends still remember us? Does my nephew Krishna, the Supreme Personality, and the compassionate shelter of his devotees still remember his aunt's sons? And does lotus-eyed Rama remember them also? Now that I am suffering in the midst of my enemies, like a doe in the midst of wolves, will Krishna come to console me and my fatherless sons with his words? Krishna, Krishna, O great yogi, O supreme soul and protector of the universe, O Govinda, please protect me, who have surrendered to you. I and my sons are being overwhelmed by trouble. Purport, since Lord Krishna maintains the entire universe, thought Kunti Devi, surely he can protect our family. The word avasi the team indicates that Kunti Devi was overwhelmed by troubles. Thus exhausted, she was helplessly taking shelter of Sri Krishna. In her prayers in the first canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Kunti admits 
that all these troubles were actually a blessing, for they forced her to always be intensely Krishna conscious. Om Jnana Timarandasya Jnana Shalakaya Chakshurun Miditam Nena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Nama Shrestha Manamapi Sachiputra Matra Swarupam Shri Rupam Tasya Grajam Urupari Maturim Goshtavatim Radha Kundam Girivara Moho Radhika Madhavasham Prapto yasya pratita kripaya shri gurum tannato asmi Nittai namine che namirhate shadamulye namti te chere Nittai namine che namirhate shadamulye namti te chere Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Advaita Gadadhar Shivasari Gora Bhakta Brinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Even great souls, Prabhupada writes, in the fourth chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam, find reversals of fortune in their life. It's the nature of the material world. There is no lack of complexity in this world as long as one's in an embodied soul. And Prabhupada admonished one of his disciples who had written to Prabhupada complaining that the leaders in ISKCON at that time, sometimes circa 1975, were quarreling with one another. And Prabhupada wrote back saying that you should not expect utopia. Utopia means that which, that place that's so ideal doesn't actually exist. There is no such place. It's a phantasmagoria, an imagined place where there are no difficulties whatsoever. And actually, the devotee who had written to Prabhupada had said that the devotees who were quarreling were impersonal or impersonalist because they were acting in sort of impersonal ways he interpreted towards one another. But Prabhupada said, actually, you're the impersonalist for considering it this way because every living entity has a unique vision of life due to his or her unique position. In the case of being an embodied soul, Krishna describes in the 17th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita how mayoyam purushaha Shadamayo uh, means that the living entity is a composite of, of his or her accumulation of the modes of nature. There's a composite picture and the way that a person acts according to how he or she has acquired the modes of nature over many lifetimes. Purusha prakriti stohi bhunte prakriti jangunan karanam gunasangosya sadasadyoni janmasu. There's a way that Krishna says, we get 
to where we are now because of our associations with various types of people. And therefore we take on various modes. They accumulate within the heart. He describes in another place. This is where the modes congregate. And then because of that mixture, toxic mixture of modes, I'm compelled to act in various ways. And not only that, I take a birth that solidifies my mentality from the last life. Solidifies means that the body I have now, my prarabdha, is a manifestation of the way I was thinking in my last life when I left my body. It got filled in with a physical body. And the mental body that I'm creating now will determine the next physical body I get because it gets filled in by material nature. It accommodates perfectly and exactly. Shariram yaravapnoti yachchap yukramatishvara grihit vaitani samyati vayargandami vashayat shocham chakshu sparshadam cha rasanam granamevacha atishtayam manaschayam vishayan upasevate. Krishna says a very subtle process just has when the air passes over any surface, it picks up the scent of the materials that are there. If it's roses, it smells like rose. If it's garbage, it smells like garbage. And similarly, the soul, by its proximity to the material modes in nature, picks up those various modes and becomes what another teacher of bhakti, Rishabhadeva, says is karmatmakam. It's colored by these various modes. If you put in the wash a brand new, don't do this, gumsha that you bought from Loi Bazaar with all your other wash, but I rinsed it out three times, doesn't matter. Everything will come out pink. <laughs> so similarly, if we mix in to the material world, then we come out pink rather than clear. Our consciousness, karmatmaka, gets colored. And then, shotram chakshu sparshanam charasanam grana mevacha, a perfect accommodation by the modes of nature, happening by divine arrangement. Karmana daivanetrena jantor deho papate striya pravishta udaram umsoreta ghnashraya. The material nature is looked over by highly evolved intelligent beings called devas, and they perfectly. Uh, arrange for the next body, no mistakes. And we get a certain kind of ear, eye, nose, sense of touch, according to our previous uh, lives. And so the nature that somebody has is indelible to a certain point, unless there's some divine in intervention and one can come in contact with the purifying agent from the spiritual world, the holy name, process of devotional service, and the consciousness can become cleared, ceto dharpana marginam. So even as uh, we become purified, we also are subjected to the churnings of material nature, and therefore Prabhupada said that the living entities in their individuality will not always see eye to eye, and there also will be conflict, and also, there may be some reversals that we weren't expecting. What can we know? Uh, the, how can we know uh, what we've done in previous lives and so forth? However, for devotees, 
who have surrendered to Krishna, one might think, well, there should be no bad incidents whatsoever because as Krishna says, or Brahma, Brahma rather, in the Brahma Samhita, karmani nirdahati kintuja bhakti bhajan, one who's taken to the path of bhakti has his or her karma diminished or eradicated. And we have also from a Padma Purana, aprabdha palam bhaptam kutam bijam palon mukam kramenaya priliyante vishnu bhakti ratatmanam. I think I blew that verse. Aparada palam bhaptam I'm just getting worse. Kutam bijam pulon mukam krami naiva priliyante Vishnu bhakti ratatmanam. There's a way in which if you're worshiping Vishnu, then all your karma is destroyed. So what about devotees like Kunti Devi and the Pandavas having these reversals? They are under the protection of Krishna. So this is explained by Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur in 10.14.8, where he describes how the Supreme Personality of Godhead is expert at keeping his devotees close to him. So when somebody surrenders, while we're in the material world, there still may be a chance that I'll think, well, maybe I can have both. Best of both worlds. And a doctor seeing in a patient who's like, okay, I'm halfway through the medicine. I feel pretty good. Maybe I'll just stop. It's like, no, no, you go all the way. You take the whole course of medicine and be careful because doctors see things that other people don't see. They see a lot of patients and they know disease can come back at any minute. So Krishna is the supreme doctor and he notices the living entity is prone. Hey, good, welcome to class. The, uh, prone to looking back over his or her shoulder at the material nature and thinking, well, maybe that could be dovetailed in Krishna's service um, or not. And then uh, becoming detoured in the path of devotional service. Therefore, he gives a particular or a customized kind of uh, suffering to his devotees. So that they'll give up the last vestiges. What is a vestige, please? The last vestiges of desire to enjoy the material world. Everyone, according to their acquired modes of nature, subtly has a way that he or she wants to enjoy the material world. Of course, there's a lot of facility for that. There are 8,400,000 species altogether, and you could try each one of them if you wish. Material world's like... What's that? Six flags, or is it three flags? Six flags, okay. There's another smaller one called three flags. <laughs> it's the knockoff version. <laughs> so there's a bunch of rides you can go on. The material nature offers all these different rides you can go on. It's like, let me try this. Can I try that? Can I do this? And like, I feel sick. Can I just go home? Yeah, you can go home. Bahunam jammanamante gyanavam mam prapadyate vasudeva sarvamiti sa mahatma labaha. A great soul is one who decides, no mas, I'm going to just uh, surrender to Krishna. What is a vestige anyway?
A vestige is a noun. It's from the 16th century from the French vestige, a mark, trace, sign, and then from Latin vestigium, footprint, trace, and Ooh. a word of an unknown origin. Footprint, a trace, a sign. Yeah, a little something left over, right? Even though Krishna purifies the heart, there's something I'm holding back, some little thing. I know it's in that, you know, those. you get a little extra pocket. Nobody else knows about it. Yeah, it's in there. No one will find it. Because people think that all the time. They go to the airport, and there's a beagle out there smell, smelling everything. Like, yeah, he's got the, he has a grape. <laughs> One leaf of lettuce I got caught for going into Mexico. The dog came up. It's in there, it's in there. I had to fill out all kinds of paperwork. I brought in one piece of lettuce to Mexico. I could end up in jail. So the living entity tries to hold on to one last thing. But Krishna knows. He's there within the heart. He can see every last little thing I've got in my pocket. So he's like, could you give me that? Do you want to get rid of that thing? <laughs> and he helps us to overcome the last vestiges. Then we're free. And free to completely serve, no reservation, no pretense. And that's real life. So Krishna wants us to have that. So Kunti Devi here is understandably, because uh, she's a pure devotee, being mentioned as one who has come to realize this. And as she and her family went through unbearable, normally unbearable circumstances for a family, she was seeing it as Krishna's arrangement so that they would always be closer to Krishna. Keep going? Okay. So I'm getting to a point here because in this section we're going to meet a character that represents this weakness of heart, holding back. And it's called in some places Pashyanapina Pashiti. One hears about uh, the importance of doing something, and one sees it, but then I don't see it. I, somehow, I don't want to see it. Pashyanapina pashiti. It's there in front of my eyes. It's presented. I understand it, but it's like, I'm not going to take it. And how to overcome that? Because if we can do that, then we become very fortunate. We come into a new category. Nothing held. Uh, everything for Krishna, nothing for me. Text number 12. For persons fearful of death and rebirth, I see no shelter other than your liberating lotus feet, for you are the Supreme Lord. These are uh, Kunti's prayers. I offer my obeisances to you, O Krishna, the Supreme Pure, the Absolute Truth, and the Super Soul, the Lord of pure devotional service and the source of all knowledge, I've come to you for shelter. Srila Sridhar Swami has translated the word yogaya, yoga, yogaya, as unto Krishna, the source of all knowledge. The word yoga indicates connection and also the means to achieve something. What does yoga mean? It's so nice, the pandemic. We can't hear a thing through the mask. It means, it means, uh, Connection and also the means to achieve something. It's good to know, isn't it? 
connection and the means to achieve something. As conscious souls, we have a connection with the Supreme Soul through bhakti or devotion. Through that relationship, we experience perfect knowledge of the Supreme Soul. Since the Supreme Soul is the absolute truth, perfect knowledge of Him means perfect knowledge of everything. As stated in the Mundaka Upanishad, kasmin bhagavo vignate sarvam idam vignatam pavati. When the Absolute is understood, everything is understood. Thus, Lord Krishna himself, by his spiritual potency, establishes our connection with him. And that connection is the source of all spiritual knowledge. Thus, Acharya Sridhar, Sridhar, by his thoughtful translation, stimulates us to deeper understanding of Krishna conscious philosophy. Can somebody give the gist of what uh, Sridhar Swami said? We'll look at it again from the top. Srila Sridhar Swami has translated the word yogaya as unto Krishna, the source of all knowledge. That's the basis of it. Do you remember any points? Okay, I'll read it again. Just listen. Sridhar, Srila Sridhar Swami has translated the word yogaya, yogaya as under Krishna, the source of all knowledge. The word yoga indicates connection and also the means to achieve something. As conscious souls, we have a connection with the Supreme Soul through bhakti or devotion. Through that relationship, we experience perfect knowledge of the Supreme Soul. Since the Supreme Soul is the absolute truth, perfect knowledge of him means perfect knowledge of everything. As stated in the Mundaka Upanishad, kasmin bhagavo vignate sarvam idam vignatam bhavati. When the Absolute is understood, everything is understood. Thus, Lord Krishna himself, by his spiritual potency, establishes our connection with him, and that connection is the source of all spiritual knowledge. Thus, Acharya Sridhar, by his thoughtful translation, stimulates us to deeper understanding of Krishna conscious philosophy. Just give your points, and then, if you can, give some reference to Shastra to expand upon it. Yes, Prabhu. I think here, uh, Sridhar Goswami mentions about the uh, Krishna's energy or Krishna's mercy. So, you know, Brahmande Brahmite Kon Bhagavaneju, Guru Krishna Prasade by Bhakti Lata Bij. So, Guru and Krishna, so Krishna's divine energy connects us uh, to process of bhakti. That's a nice citation. Can you just explain the verse for us, please? Brahmanda so, Brahmate Kon Bhagavan Jeev. Brahmanda Brahmate Kon Bhagavan Jeev. Like the Jiva is traveling in Brahmanda, taking different, going through 84 lakh species and traveling to 14 planetary systems. And then Guru Krishna Prasadeva, like Prasad is a mercy. So Guru and Krishna's mercy, he is getting the Bhakti Lata Bij. So the seed of bhakti, he is gifted with the seed of bhakti. And with that, he can get out of the cycle of birth and death. Nicely done. Thank you. Does someone want to continue on his point, or do you have a new point to make? Yes, Radha Kripa Prabhu. 
You can say the same thing, friends in the family, okay. Yeah, these are, this is a very important point because the mind is always trying to hook into a network, just like when you take your cell phone out for a walk, then it starts searching around, where can I connect? You drive down the freeway, the 101, and you look at your phone as it's jumping to somebody else's car, looking for a network there, drive by a store, it looks, where's the network, where's the network, where's the network, where can I connect? So Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita that Vyavasayatmaka Buddhir Ekeha Kurananana Bahushaka Hyanantascha Buddhayo Vyavasayinam. We have uh, one main network that we need to connect to. And if you connect to that network, then all uh, information is available. But if you try to connect to all the individual networks, you'll be very uh, dissatisfied always. So. <clears throat> Just uh, knowing this one principle of the truth of yoga, that just remember Krishna. And somebody yesterday in a conversation was mentioning that any kind of difficulty one has by being an embodied soul can be overcome by one method, and that is remembering Krishna. When you remember Lord Chaitanya, as an example, is stated in the Sri Chaitanya Charnamrita, then difficult things become easy. And if you forget him, then easy things become difficult. So it's a simple formula. Did anybody else want to make one more point? Yes. Hare Krishna Maharaj, uh, thank you for the session. I, I wanted to, I was thinking of one, uh, 228-29 where it is said Vasudeva para Veda, Vasudeva para Makha, Vasudeva para Yoga, Vasudeva para Kriya uh, that uh, uh, the ultimate object of knowledge is Sri Krishna, the personality of Godhead the purpose of performing sacrifice is to please Him Yoga is for realizing Him all fruitive activities are ultimately re rewarded by Him only He is supreme knowledge and all severe austerities are performed to know Him Religion is rendering loving service unto him. He is the supreme goal of life. So, um, Sridhar Swami is uh, mentioning yoga is ultimately we want to connect to Krishna. So, yeah, I was thinking. So sign up for that one network. You can subscribe through the bhakti process. Hare Krishna. I was thinking about the reversals of fortune and why devotees have to go through um, all the struggles. Um, I was remembering a talk where it was said that, you know, normal conditioned beings will go through all the reversals because of their karma. But why do devote, why do, um, 
uh, devotees go through it and devotees go through it because it helps them to for further purification and the cheto darpana that you said but why do pure devotees have to go through like why did pandavas and kunti and why they have to go through so the example was given of uttara where um, uttara when she uh, she just lost her husband abhimanyu on the battlefield but when the um, brahmastra was coming to kill her son parikshit she still appeared to krishna she didn't think that oh krishna just didn't didn't help me uh, didn't help abhimanyu i should not go to him but she still went to him so it was said that uh, we pure devotees get this suffering because that helps them to reconnect and keep on reconnecting so i was thinking about that point thank you a nice example Yes, Balaram. Um, I saw that um, it mentioned that Krishna was a source of knowledge here, or yoga. And the definition of yoga given, which is connection and a means to achieve something, is done by knowledge as well, where we connect um, to Krishna in the transcendental space through the Vedas, through knowledge, to transcendental knowledge. And... And by practicing what's taught in the Vedas, we're able to achieve um, what the goal of life is, which is to go back to Krishna. Thank you. To bring us back to the definition, it brings to the last final point that I might like to make in this purport, which um, is the fact that uh, Krishna himself, by his spiritual potency, establishes our connection with him. And that connection is the source of all spiritual knowledge. So Krishna is availing himself to us. And he's always availing himself to us. And as soon as we show uh, a little inclination towards him, then he begins to take proactive steps to move us closer. Tesham satata yuktanam bhajatam priti purvakam dharami buddhi yogam tam yenamam upayantite. Krishna says that if somebody sincerely turns their attention towards me, then I will give them the intelligence, the knowledge, of how they can come to me. So we can keep that in mind. And in the context of this uh, section of the Bhagavatam, we can keep that in mind even despite our sometimes seeming unwillingness to do it. We may find that there's 99% unwillingness and 1% sincerity towards coming in contact with Krishna. Possible? So that'll still work. As long as we keep coming back to that 1%, then Krishna will make arrangements for us to come to 5%, 10%, 90%, 100% by his um, informing us from within the heart. Okay, I'm going to continue a few more, and you're going to be astounded, so stay tuned in, because this is just a warm-up so far. The parts coming up here will make the hair on the back of your neck stand on end. You may never be the same after you hear these next few verses. What happened? Oh my God! Yes, I'm so sorry. Please go ahead. Uh, Maharaj, actually, the discussion was going on. I was just thinking about the verse from Chaitanya Tamil. Uh, so, the Krishna Bhakti Kurele Sarva Karma Krita Hai. 
So uh, if you know we are able to do Krishna consciousness, then all other activities uh, you know gets performed perfectly, and we don't have to worry much because Krishna gives the intelligence from inside, and also as and uh, uh, guru, uh, I mean spiritual master from outside. Yes, yeah, a nice point. We don't have to worry much. Shraddha Shabde Bishwas Kohe Sudridanishoy Krishna Bhakti Koila Sarva Karma Kritahoy. This is the definition of the Bishwas or Shraddha. It means that you have a strong conviction, an ever strengthening condition conviction that just by remembering Krishna, serving Krishna, then everything else is done. And Narada says it. So what if you gave up your occupation and joined the Krishna Consciousness Movement and things seem to have been left in the lurch because you dropped it suddenly out of a sense of extreme enthusiasm to become fully surrendered to Krishna, but then, hey, you didn't make it all the way. He said, that's better than you went for your whole occupation and you got it down perfectly. You're the top of your field and you're a great hero in linguistics or sociology or whatever it may be. But then you never got that chance to just tell Krishna, I'm surrendering to you, I give up everything to you. He said, it's much better. Not just much better, it's the main principle. And the other thing is not so important, because what did you actually get if you got everything else perfectly? So many people have done that. I was thinking about Steve Jobs the other day, because he used to just wear the same clothes every day. He wore black turtleneck and blue jeans. Because he wanted to be more efficient in his thinking and not get distracted by, what am I going to wear today? How do I look? He's like, I don't care how I look. I'm thinking, and I want to make a revolution in communication through making devices that, through which people can communicate with one another, something like that. But then, I mean, after all, what did you get? You got a device, but what's everyone talking about anyway? Whereas some humble bhakta somewhere maybe just uh, surrendering to Krishna, it's more consequential, ultimately. The points in history at which somebody makes a revolutionary discovery, but it doesn't include Krishna, are not so significant, ultimately. But the quiet surrender of somebody who decides, I'm giving everything to Krishna, even though such a person may look in the scheme of the present context of the world like a, a non-participant such a person the Bhagavatam says this is the real great person the really great person Om Tat Sat oh we have one more hand up who is that Sukeshri Hare Krishna Prabhu Hare Krishna. I was remembering Yoginam Apisarvesham um, when you were discussing about um, you know how Krishna says Yoginam Apisarvesham Shuddhavan so I, I was just thinking how Krishna Could says that. Could you please say that a little slower, please? Yoginam api sarvesham madgate nantaratmana. Like half the speed of that. Yoginam api sarvesham 
ಮದ್ಗತೆ ನಾಂತರಾತ್ಮನ ಶ್ರದ್ಧಾವಾನ್ ಭಜತೆ ಯೋ ಮಾಂ ತಮೇಯುಕ್ತ focuses his or her mind on me in the, and gives his his or her heart in devotion that's the best best yogi good yogi okay now as i promised you the part where your the hair in the back of your neck will stand on end you'll you'll be shocked and maybe awed and transformed in ways that i i can't predict but um it will happen in these next few verses do you want to stay yes you can go now to parking lot have a conversation about the prasadam last week the pandemic how long is going to last instead if you like okay here we go am i on 16 now 14 oh here we go shukadev goswami said thus meditating on her family members and also on krishna the lord of the universe your great grandmother kunti devi began to cry out of grief o king both akura who shared queen kunti's distress and happiness and the illustrious vidura consoled the queen by reminding her of the extraordinary way her sons had taken birth purport akura and vidura reminded queen kunti that her sons were born of heavenly gods and thus could not be vanquished like ordinary mortals in fact an extraordinary victory awaited this most pious family it's before kurukshetra battle what's happening in this chapter is krishna wanted to know what's dhritarashtra thinking is there any wiggle room here that he could actually decide to pull back his sons and say like don't do this i'm i'm stepping in and then he could assess could krishna about what is the prospect for the kurukshetra battle do we have to go all in or is there going to be some mitigation 16 the ardent affection king dhritarashtra felt for his sons had made him act unjustly toward the pandavas just before leaving akura approached the king who is seated among his friends and supporters and related to him the message that his relatives lord krishna and lord balaram had sent out of friendship akura said oh my dear son of achitravirya o enhancer of the kuru's glories glory your brother pandu having passed away you have now assumed the royal throne purport akura was speaking ironically since the young sons of pandu should actually have become, been occupying the throne upon the death of pandu they were too young to immediately govern and so were put in dhritarashtra's care but now sufficient time had passed and their legitimate rights should have been recognized by religiously protecting the earth delighting your subjects with your noble character and treating all your relatives equally you will surely achieve success and glory 
purport, Akura told Dhritarashtra that even though he had usurped the throne, if he now ruled according to the principles of dharma and behaved properly, he could be successful. Even now. If you act otherwise, however, people will condemn you in this world and in the next life, and you will enter the darkness of hell. Remain equally disposed, therefore, towards, toward Pandu's sons and your own. Purport, Dhritarashtra's whole problem was his excessive attachment to his nasty sons. That was the fatal flaw that caused his downfall. There was no lack of good advice from all sides, and Dhritarashtra even admitted that the advice was sound, but he could not follow it. One can have clear, practical intelligence when the mind and heart are pure. In this world, no one has any permanent relationship with anyone else, O king. We cannot stay forever even with our own body, what to speak of our wife, children, and the rest. Every creature is born alone and dies alone, and alone one experiences the just rewards of his good and evil deeds. Purport, the term anubhukte is significant here. Bhukte means the living being experiences, and anu means following or in sequence. In other words, we experience happiness and distress according to the moral and spiritual qualities, quality of our activities. We are responsible for what we do. Dhritarashtra was falsely and obsessively attached to his evil-minded sons, forgetting that he alone would have to suffer for his imprudent behavior. In the guise of dear dependents, strangers steal the sinfully acquired wealth of a foolish man, just as the offspring of a fish drink up the water that sustains the fish. Purport. Ordinary people feel they cannot live without their wealth, although their possession of it is circumstantial and temporary. Just as wealth gives life to an ordinary man, water gives life to a fish. One's dear dependents, however, steal one's wealth, just like a fish's offspring drink up the water sustaining the fish. In, other, in the words of Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, this world is a weird abode. A fool indulges in sin to maintain his life, wealth, and children and other relatives, for he thinks, these things are mine. In the end, however, these very things all abandon him, leaving him frustrated. Purport. In these verses, Akura is giving rather frank advice to Dhritarashtra. Those who know the story of the Mahabharata will realize how relevant and prophetic these instructions are, and how much Dhritarashtra suffered for not accepting them. Although one tenaciously clings to his property, in the end all is lost. All the blundering and the blundering soul is swept away by the wheel of birth and death. I like that uh, analogy of the fish drinking up the water. Abandoned by his so-called dependents, ignorant of the actual goal of life, indifferent to his real duty, and having failed to fulfill his purposes, the foolish soul enters the blindness of hell, taking its sinful reactions with him. Purport, it is sadly ironic. Everyone okay? Yeah. 
hair standing on the end yet? Not yet. It, it, soon it will be. It is sadly ironic that materialistic persons who labor so assiduously to accumulate insurance, security, property, and family enter the darkness of hell equipped with nothing but the painful reactions of their sins. You can look up assiduous, assiduously. It's a good word. On the other hand, those who cultivate Krishna consciousness, spiritual life, while apparently neglecting to accumulate property, a large family, and so on, enter the next life enriched with many spiritual assets and thus enjoy the deep pleasures of the soul. Therefore, O king, looking upon this world as a dream, a magician's illusion, or a flight of fancy, please control your mind with intelligence and become equipoised and peaceful, my lord. Dhritarashtra said, this is too heavy, I can't read it. Let's take a break. Should I go on? All right. You asked for it. Dhritarashtra said, O master of charity, I can never be satiated while hearing your auspicious words. Indeed, I am like a mortal who has obtained the nectar of the gods. A little bit obsequious, isn't it? Purport, in the opinion of Srila Vishnu Chakravarti, Dhritarashtra was in fact proud and felt he, had, he already knew everything Akura was speaking. But to maintain diplomatic gravity, he spoke as a saintly gentleman. Even so, gentle Akura, because my unsteady heart is prejudiced by affection for my sons, these pleasing words of yours cannot remain fixed there, just as lightning cannot remain fixed in a cloud. Who can defy the injunctions of the Supreme Lord, who has now descended in the Yadu dynasty to diminish the earth's burden? Purport, naturally, we would like to ask Dhritarashtra, if you know all this, why don't you behave properly? Of course, this is exactly Dhritarashtra's point. He feels that since events have already been set in motion, he is helpless to change them. In fact, events have been set in motion by his attachment and sinful propensities, and therefore he should have taken responsibility for his own acts. Lord Krishna clearly states in the Bhagavad Gita, papam. The Supreme Lord does not accept responsibility for anyone's sinful activities. It is a dangerous policy to claim that we are acting improperly because of destiny or fate. We should take up Krishna consciousness seriously and create an auspicious future for ourselves and our associates. Finally, one may argue that, after all, Dhrujarashtra is involved in the Lord's pastimes and is actually his eternal associate. In answer to this, we may say that the Lord's pastimes are not only entertaining, but also didactic. And the lesson here is that Dhritarashtra should have acted properly. This is what the Lord wanted to teach. Dhritarashtra claims that Krishna came to relieve the burden of the earth, but the earth's burden is precisely the improper behavior of its inhabitants. So let us take the lesson the Lord wants to teach here and be instructed for our benefit. 
29. I offer my obeisances to him, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who creates this universe by the inconceivable activity of his material energy and then distributes the various modes of nature by entering within creation. From him, the meaning of whose pastimes is unfathomable come both the untangling cycle of birth and death and the process of deliverance from it. Purport. When all is said and done, Dhritarashtra was not an ordinary person, but an associate of the Supreme Lord Krishna. Certainly an ordinary person cannot offer such a learned hymn to the Lord. Shukadeva Goswami said, Having thus appraised himself of the king's attitude, Akura, the descendant of Yadu, took permission from his well-wishing relatives and friends and returned to the capital of the Yadavas. Akura reported to Lord Balaram and Lord Krishna how Drishyarashtra was behaving toward the Pandavas. Thus, O descendant of the Kurus, he fulfilled the purpose for which he had been sent. Thus end the purports of the humble servants of his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, to the 10th canto, 49th chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled Akura's Mission in Hastinapur. So please let's discuss the principle just for a couple of minutes of what happens what, and what is, what is it that is taking place with Vidura and, excuse me, Akura and Dhritarashtra. Can you put your finger on it? Does it resemble anything you've seen or felt before? Can somebody give a, a three-sentence summary of why this is an important chapter? Or why you think I think it's an important chapter? Shastra. Shastra. Not Shastra. Hare Krishna. Um, so, Akura goes to, um, goes to, um, to Dhritarashtra to try to, ex he tries to explain to him like, you know, don't. He he tries to shed some light on the activities that Dhritarashtra is doing, which, based on Dhritarashtra's response, it's clear that he is to an extent aware of what he is doing, but isn't is being a little stubborn to change himself because he wants to um, because because of his attachment to his sons. But it kind of it was kind of humorous to see how Akrura initially <laughs> comes to Dhritarashtra and says, oh, you wonderful king, like in a very sarcastic way. And Dhritarashtra responds in a very, very similar manner of saying, oh, you're so learned. But I think Prabhupada really, sorry, not um, Prabhupada's disciples really um, perfectly articulate what was going on in, in my mind of, if you know this, why aren't you like changing yourself? Which is, I guess, it's 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 clear as to how strong the power of attachment to family and kinsmen can be in that sense. And were you purposefully being understated when you said he was a little stubborn? He was so stubborn. <laughs> because, I mean, ultimately, this is this was the cause of the war. I mean, the consequence of such a unwillingness to take good advice it leads to disaster 
ultimately. It's amazing that because this word responsibility, he had a responsibility as a king to do the right thing. He had a dharma to fulfill, but and he also gets a good instruction about it, but then he's unwilling to, to do it. And then there's a consequence. And this is something that comes up in this context about how every soul has a responsibility. And if you think about the word respond, can we think about it more deeply by looking at the etymological dictionary before we look at assiduous? This uh, respond, respond is a kind of a, it's a, uh, if not incorrect, it's a kind of a, a vibration or an, you're making a, uh, a sound vibration, spawned. Do you have it? Okay, go ahead. Tell us the whole history of the word respond and what it, all the nuance of its meanings. Respond is a verb, make, answer, give a reply in words from the 13th century, responduin, from Anglo-French, respondre, Old French, respondere, respond, correspond, and directly from Latin, respondere, respond, answer to, promise in return, from re, back, and then espondere, to pledge, and then the modern spelling and pronunciation is from the 16th century, um, which also means to make a liturgical response. Liturgical response. Is that it? Is there a breakdown of the words from re and spawned? Yeah, um, so re is, um, means back, back from, back to the original place. And it can also mean again, anew, once more. And then it can mean undoing or backward. And that's from Latin. And then um, es sponsor, or sponsor is, um, is from Latin. And uh, it says 1650s from late Latin sponsor. Sponsor in baptism in Latin, a surety guarantee bondsman from sponsus, past participle of spondere to give assurance, promise solemnly. And then solemnly? Solemnly. Yes. And then from proto Italic, spondejo to pledge, literally to libate many times. And then from proto Indo European roots, um, spondio. To libate. To what? To libate. Debate? Libate. L-I-B-A-T-E. Libate? Libate. <laughs> what does that word mean, libate? Uh, mm, huh? Uh, Drinking. Libations. Yeah, only living entities can respond. And if a machine responds, it's only because a, a conscious being programmed it. So it always traces back the responsibility, always responsibility. You have the ability to respond. And there's 
a way of responding that's aligned with uh, dharma of our natures that fits properly. And if it's not the right response, like Dhritarasa's response is incorrect, therefore it creates disaster. So we have to reform our consciousness so that we can respond properly. That's somebody who's responsible as they know how to respond correctly to, to every circumstance and situation, to, the, to questions, to events in their lives, and so forth. That's what it means to be responsible. You're able to respond properly according to Dharma. But Dhritarashtra wasn't able to do that. He said, I understand what you're saying. It's very beautiful, in fact. You're such an eloquent, eloquent speaker, but um, not so much. I don't think I'll be doing that now. Also to add, um, not only he didn't listen to Akrura, um, but he even blamed it, um, saying that that was a plan of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, so what can I do, you know? like. So I was just thinking, even in our day-to-day -day, um, day -day lives, this is very um, prevalent because sometimes we see this is the right thing to do, but because of the attachment, we just try to find a cause or some, someone to blame so that we don't want to take that responsibility of doing the wrong thing. So, yeah. Good point. So we see the, we see the problem and we see the, what is the consequence of not responding properly, then what's the solution? How does one overcome one's assiduous, how, what was the context of the word assiduously? He held assiduously to his position. Assiduous means Assiduous is an adjective. It means attentive, devoted, constant application. It's from the 1530s, um, from Latin assidus, attending, continually present, incessant, busy, constant. From assidere, to sit down, to sit by. And then from ad, to, and sidere, to sit. Um, from Proto-Indo-European root, sid, which means to sit. And then the word acquired of attained of servile in the 18th century. Thank you very much. Shamrupa. Hare Krishna Maharaj, thank you for uh, another wonderful class. And really thank you to bring this important lesson. I was just thinking uh, this has a similarity when Hiranaksha uh, consoles, uh, speaks learned word, a couple of chapters in Bhagavatam, uh, Hiranakashipu, after Hiranaksha is <laughs> dead. So, and also uh, we see in this, uh, a couple of times here, Akrura mentioning, why don't you behave properly? So we can know a lot of things, but unless we transform our heart, unless we change our behavior, it has very less meaning. I think in Srimad Bhagavatam, there is a beautiful sloka uh, illustrating this 284. 
श्रीनतश्रद्धयानितम घृणत सचेष्टित काले न नाते दीर्घ है न भगवान विषते हृदय से सचेष्टित अनलेस वी रियली डू द चेष्टा और एफर्ट टू इम्प्लीमेंट दो स्टेचिंग्स एंड ट्रांसफॉर्म आवर लाइफ और बिहेवियर देन वी रिमेन ए थियोरिटिकल पर्सन लाइक धीतराष्ट्र कोट्स ब्यूटिफुल थिंग्स So what are the steps to get to that pliable state where we are able to overcome the weakness of heart where we get a good instruction but then uh, perhaps in our conditioned state we're reluctant to take it so how does one come to that point of pure-heartedness where one can accept it and rise above the tyranny of the mind and of the def- defect of weakness of heart. Where like, I'd like to do it, I just can't. How do you get to the point of strength? What are the steps? Maharaj, a couple of things I can think of is uh, just like Bhagavatam uh, describes that we should we should hear we might have lot of disqualifications uh, just like in bhagavatam uh, 2746 it says tevai vidanti ati taranti chadeva mayam stri shudra hona shabara ati papa jiva yadi adbhuta krama parayana shila shikshas tiryakjana kim api ushuta dharanaye shila shikshas we have to humble ourselves in front of a advanced devotee a pure devotee and you have to do the shila shikshas their tutelage you have to enroll and we have to hear from the right source you have to enroll you, did you just word the verb enroll yes man yeah, because here it get enrolled okay go ahead. Yeah. because it says here shila shikshas that we have to systematically get trained from advanced devotee so that's the first step is that the, the verb shil the same as anushilanam yes maharaj it means the cultivation you actually have to cultivate it so this is a really important point shamrupa prabhu is making about how if you don't have the strength of heart still put yourself in the association of advanced devotees where they're speaking about krishna consciousness and there's chikitsitam means a medicinal effect that is uh partly because of uh, krishna's acknowledgement sadyo hridyavarudyate trakriti bishushushabishtakshanat when somebody takes the trouble to hear the bhagavatam even if a little unwillingly like i'd rather be playing a video game on my new screen but i'm going to sit here and listen anyway and so krishna acknowledges that the person is making the endeavor to hear and says sadyo hridyavarudite very quickly he becomes attracted to the heart of such a person yes thanks shamarupa excellent as usual thank you just uh, adding a few more points to what shamarupa prabhu said Uh, about hearing from pure devotees uh, because the pure devotees have assimilated the knowledge so they are not just theoretical but they have they are actually applying it in their life and therefore 
the Paramatma in their heart, uh, the saffron dust particles from the lotus feet of that Paramatma comes from their heart to their mouth and then from their mouth to our ear holes. And then that's when we, we can actually um, realize when it is spoken by a pure devotee because we can actually imagine all the things that they are talking because they are more realized than us. So I was thinking of that point. There's a very important point made by Prithu Maharaj, and this is uh, poetically rendered as when a pure devotee speaks, his or her voice touches Krishna's lotus feet because he's in prox or she's in proximity, and it dislodges the saffron particles there. So then they're called saffron mercy particles. So it's as if the sound vibration of such a person who's sincerely and deeply in love with Krishna speaking then the experience is different. On the opposite side, a Vaishnava mukundgirnam putam harikatam ritam shavana naiva kartavyam sarpo chista yatapaya. There's a way in which, if one listens even to Krishna kata or the chanting, to somebody who's materially, deliberately, and stubbornly materially affected. In other words, their intention isn't to surrender Krishna, it's to become Krishna, or it's uh, actually to make a living by chanting Hare Krishna. Then the vibration will act in this sense that he gives in the verse as a, an analogy that if a snake comes and takes, gets in your refrigerator somehow and starts drinking the milk out of your um, milk canister, and then you come in and you pour the milk, the, that trace of poison will be in there. So this is extremely important about the subtlety of influence that comes from the heart of the person who's responding or who's speaking uh, the topic. Therefore, it's recommended that one be in the association of those who are whose intention is uh, purely fixed on uh, pure devotional service. Probably you had a point. I can't even say who it is because you have the best mask in the history of the pandemic. We know that, but there's devotees online that can't hear a thing without you speaking in the microphone. Yeah, I have a question. So towards the end, there was a, uh, if you can circle back to the same text that we had at the end, wherein uh, Akura says to Yadavs that, uh, uh, Dhritarashtra as the king and as the descendant of Kuru is fulfilling his purpose. Hold uh, that really close, okay? Yeah. So when Dhritarashtra is fulfilling his purpose, and at that point I'm kind of wondering, so when the previous text said that uh, referring to anything that we do as destiny or as fate is sinful, and at the same time Dhritarashtra is fulfilling his purpose, so these two things kind of contradict for me. So if by doing what Dhritarashtra did was fulfilling his purpose and at the same time uh, both Dhritarashtra and Akura are aware of the implications of Dhritarashtra's actions and uh, so for me I felt that Akura, the conversation was more about Akura in conveying to Dhritarashtra that you should be conscious and aware of your actions and what you like both of them are aware and it's in a way kind of teaching all of us that even if people are aware, it's very difficult to get rid of their bonds that they have and uh, what and how things should be done in order to 
get rid of the bondage and do the right thing. But that's like my understanding of what was going on there. Still, I'm not clear on the difference between purpose, destiny, and fate. Yes, this is an age-old question. Huh? Use the mic. You have to respond properly. So, um, Prabhu, Prabhu said that Prabhu said that uh, Dhritarashtra fulfilled his purpose, but in the verse it is said that Akrura actually um, Akrura reported to Lord Balaram and Lord Krishna how Dhritarashtra was behaving toward the Pandavas. Thus, O descendant of the Kurus, he he meaning Akrura fulfilled the purpose for which he had been sent, not Dhritarashtra. So sure, and nonetheless, the issue about Causality, destiny, fate is a perennial issue in every philosophical system. Uh, what is causality? For instance, in Buddhism, who is actually the cause if there's no person ultimately? There's only process because there is an apparent entity. I say apparent because in some f forms of Buddhism, there's an idea of anatma. There's no self behind it, ultimately, because nirvana means to come to understand that nothing's really happening, and that the stillness means no, no sense of personhood, no self-grasping, because there's no self to grasp, ultimately. It's only an illusory idea. So who's the cause, then, ultimately, of that? And then you have uh, similar discussions going on in Jainism, and uh, the Shaivites discuss the Mimamsas, uh, talk uh, about causality. Uh, when, when we come to Vedanta and the different darshans, the ultimate description uh, comes back and is summarized by Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita in the 18th chapter, where he says there's five causes to every action. The inclination of the soul for a who desires in a particular way is also factored in with four other causes, ultimately the supersoul. But there are other uh, elements as well that go along with that. But Vyasadeva and Jiva Goswami and um, the uh, Vaishnavas, the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, uh, ultimately bring the point that the soul is an agent. In fact, Vyasadeva in the Vedanta Sutra says, if he's not an agent, if the soul, if we aren't agents for our own improvement and change, then there's no purpose to all the Shastra. Because after all, who's it talking to when it says you can improve if you do this, this, and that? There's all these instructions saying do this, not that. And who does that relate? Who is it speaking to then? And unless you can improve, uh, then the Shastra has no meaning. And the Shastra does have meaning. It's, it's axiomatic truth. It's self-effulgent, therefore you can change. So we may uh, be confronted with destiny or apparent fate, but it doesn't mean that even in that moment there isn't something we can do about it because we can always respond in that moment to the degree that we have 
some freedom. Freedom comes from having uh, some knowledge, the difference between my body and myself, and that there is uh, a proper way to act. Some people don't have that at all, so if they're in abject ignorance, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, Maya Mugda Swata Krishna Gyan, that uh, people don't automatically come out of ignorance, therefore there has to be some intervention. That's why, he goes on to say, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that that's why we distribute knowledge. Why do you think we distribute Bhagavad Gita in large quantities? Just for entertainment? Because we have nothing better to do in the last three months of the year? <laughs> no, because when people, a soul comes in contact with spiritual knowledge, he or she can read it and then say, Aha! Now I could do something different. So, one example that's given by one of the authors and uh, the commentators is about uh, modern commentators about this idea of fate is about an airplane. Let's say you bought a ticket from here to Chicago, which I recommend. You should go see Chicago sometime. We'll go together. Go to Chicago, and um, once you buy the ticket, that's, and you get on the plane, that's where you're going. Unless, of course, you don't wear your mask, then they'll land and kick you off. But if, if you get on the plane, you're going to Chicago, so that's set. That's your fate. However, it doesn't mean that when you're on the plane, there aren't certain things that you can do. You can make arrangements from the plane. You could even get internet on most of the flights. And then when I get to Chicago, I'm coming straight back. Or you can uh, do things on the plane uh, that entangle you more. Like I just mentioned, you say, I'm not wearing a mask. And they say, well, you're going to be under arrest when we land. I was like, so what? Okay. That's, you're creating your destiny more. Or you can uh, make arrangements when you get there. You can turn around and come back. Or here's what I'm going to do when I'm in Chicago and so forth. So there's this uh, parallel. Yes, fate is going on according to past momentum. We've bought our ticket. We have our prarabdha. It's our body. It's like uh, you can try to change it, and a lot of people do. You know, change. You can change a lot about your body that you want, but you still have your prarabdha. So then, uh, what can you do? There's a lot you can do, according to the shastra, and that's what we're talking about. That you can, as Shamrupa said, and others, come into the association of devotees and hear. Prabhupada once said, God helps those who help themselves means, helping oneself means putting oneself in front of transcendental sound vibration. So if you can't help yourself, at least help God help you to come out of your so-called fate and destiny by putting yourself in front of transcendental sound vibration because then you'll get purified. I hope that helps in the answer. Roman, and then... Um, we're coming back down to Bhakti Krishna. Thank you. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj. I was actually uh, relating the uh, shloka to uh, uh, yoga, which we start our day of discussing what is yoga. And uh, as I understood that Krishna wanted to give Dhritarashtra to leave, to make kind of balance decision. So the balance, the world that could be appropriate to implement because you know, I was looking at to uh, Bhagavad Gita 248 when Krishna teaches that 
you know, perform your duty, equipoise or Juna, abandon all of the attachment and success and failure, such equanimity is called yoga. So that word equanimity, it's also can be understood like a balanced decision. So he was given a choice to treat all of his sons equally, but he decided to live not really balanced life. And uh, that's, and it's also teachings for us that we have to come some sort of a balance because yeah, we all living under gunas, influences of a guna and definitely will be covered in our lives by Rajas Thomas, but we have to choose to stay in the godness and learn that, but it must become an imbalance because we're not really perfect. We can live exactly in the one guna, but we're still going to get influenced. But balanced life is something that we have to, you know, we have to leave. And that's what this shloka is teaching us as well. I kind of co correlated a little bit uh, with the balanced life. Uh, yeah, that's equiposition beginning in the Bhagavad Gita. Dharmic Shetre, Kuruk Shetre, Samaveta, Yuyutava, Mamaka Pandavaschaiva, Kimakuravata Sanjaya. The, the commentators point out, Srila Prabhupada points out, here's the problem. It just starts at the very beginning when Dhritarashtra opens his mouth. He says, Mamaka Pandavaschaiva. What were my sons and the sons of Pandu doing? doing? So he wasn't equipoised, he was biased towards his sons in a materialistic way. And that's the problem. That's what caused the whole Krukshetra war. I mean, there are other causes as well. But ostensibly, that's what caused the war because of his bias towards his own son. So Krishna goes on throughout the Bhagavad Gita to point out that uh, while we're in this world, we shouldn't have bias towards one thing or another because it's all in the same category. It's material. And it means... Ultimately, it's just paraphernalia to be used in Krishna's service. It's not ours. There's no mamaka. There's no, this is mine, that's yours idea. Thank you. We'll take a couple more. Yes. Tim. Hi. Um, so when you said uh, God helps those who help themselves, uh, it reminded me of the story of the sparrow and Garuda. And uh, the sparrow uh, slowly pecked away at the big ocean. Uh, and it also kind of parallels Jujarestra's uh, situation. Because <laughs> in the story, he had even said he's got all the, uh, what, the nectar of the gods. He has all the utility um, <coughs> to serve, but he still refuses. But the sparrow, on the other hand, has just a small beak, but does a little bit every day. So. I like that. That's really nice. He had full facility and he didn't use it. And the little sparrow just had a little tiny capacity. But because she used it, she invited all the powers of the universe, especially Garuda, to come and help her. Nice observation. I liked that very much. Okay. Oh, yeah. Krishna, I promised you. And then there's a few more devotees. It goes one, two, three. Thank you, Srila Gurudev, for the amazing class. Um, I... I was um, on the same lines where um, Shamrupa Prabhu said that um, we, uh, how do we overcome weaknesses of heart um, um, to enroll under the pure devotee. And then I was reading yesterday about um, Yogendra Prabhuta um, in 11th Kento. Um, so he also says uh, 
um, about weaknesses of a heart in before, and then he says, Tasmat Guru Prapatyeta. So, same like, um, so now, um, yeah, I, I almost so just to summarize what he just said, there's a section in the 11th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam uh, in context of Maharaj Nimi, who is a pious king performing a sacrifice. And then there are nine sages who are sons of Rishabhadeva, who uh, were wandering around the universe just enlightening people. They all hung together. And one of them, Prabuddha, uh, whose turn it came to speak when Marjanimi asked questions, then described the adversity of material nature and, the, and our involvement in the material nature and how uncertain the life is in this world, Prabhuda. He goes at great lengths describing how difficult the material world is. And then he comes to the verse that Bhakti Krishna just brought up where he says, Tasmad Gurum Prapadita, therefore, Tasmad means therefore. Therefore, because of all the uh, uh, aforementioned anomalies in the material world, Therefore, you should get a guru, somebody who can guide you properly. Go ahead. Yes, I I have one question, Shogudev. I I almost like now finished uh, spirit reading with purports, but still almost I'm finished what the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam reading yes. with purports. But you start over again. No, go, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm still not convinced if uh, Krishna is supreme personality of Godhead, like. Because I read like till ninth canto, uh, always Lord like Vishnu appears, you know, to Dhruva or to Prachetas or whom you know before tenth on on start of the tenth canto, Lord Naya, uh, Vishnu says I will appear and he appears as Krishna and then Krishna and Arjuna goes to Mahavishnu and Mahavishnu says you are my incarnations, so I um, I still yeah I'm I'm not clear. If uh, Krishna is the supreme, or you know Vishnu is the supreme, so uh, if you can. well, they're the same person. This is the point, uh, <clears throat> as mentioned in the departure eva hita shantanama bhupeta dipayate virvitahita samana dharma. This tam eva. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't hear through masks. Sorry about that. Uh, so there's one original candle, and then that candle lights many other candles. Same power, same brightness, same fire, just as one considered original. So then the discussion comes up, like, what do you mean by original? So from the point of view, there are different points of view, and it's important to discuss this, as comes up in the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, Siddhanta Bolya Chitanakara Alash, Ihahoite Krishna Lagi Manash. When you discuss this, and that's the very conversation that Kaviraj Goswami is bringing up, then you get a clearer understanding of Siddhanta. And so there are different ways. Siddhanta means a perfection, perfect understanding. You understand what something is and what it isn't pinpoint accuracy. So that's why the, the, the commentaries come from the different uh, acharyas. And everyone has different points of view. From the point of view of Vaikuntha, Narayan is the supreme personality of God. After all, these baby activities of Krishna and Vrindavan are just some kind of like, that's weird. Why would, why would our Narayan do that? That's how they think, some of them, in Vaikuntha. Like, 
this is some like yeah okay but narayan so that that's their mood so then through analysis rupa goswami brings up uh, what is the feeling and the qualities of the supreme personality of god so he catalogs them all and he shows how narayan has 60 qualities whereas krishna has 64 qualities so from the point of view of the uh, analysis of the qualities of, of the personalities involved, although they're the same person, the one who is Rasaraj and has this indescribable beauty, which is unparalleled, who has a intimate connection, loving connection with his devotees, which is uh, varied. It's not just one thing on reverence, not to diminish the relationship of the Vaikuntha Basis because there is some nuance there too. But the nuance uh, when you come to Krishna and Vrindavan is uh, quite profound. It's stunningly profound. And it requires uh, an a exposition of a, an entire science which comes out in the Vaishnava Shastras. And then you have uh, the devotion of, the, of, the, of, of those who worship Krishna is extraordinary. That can be analyzed also in comparison to the worshippers of Lord Narayan and Vaikuntha. But finally, he's a flute player. Prabhupada said, what is, somebody asked, what does it mean Krishna plays a flute? He said, Krishna's all play and no work. <laughs> the hippies used to play flutes a lot here in Haight-Ashbury. It was, a, it was a, a, an instrument of choice, yes. Yes. Yeah, this is a very interesting question. I just want to add a point here for Prabhu. Uh, you know, when the Brahma Vimohan Leela happens, and then uh, Krishna actually, um, Brahma, Brahma takes away, that time Krishna actually creates one set of all the gopas and the coward boys and the cows. He creates the illusion for Brahma, and they're all there, but the real ones are hidden by Krishna, and Krishna reproducing himself uh, with all of them. After one year, when Brahma comes, he actually sees that, uh, oh, everybody's here, but I thought I have taken them. And then when he sees, he actually sees four-handed Vishnus in all of them. And that's when he realizes, and then all the four-handed Vishnus, they go inside Krishna. So Krishna is the source of the four-handed Vishnus. It was like one of, in one of the lectures I heard that it was one of the points they said that that's how you prove it. And obviously the Karnudakshai, Vishnu, Garbhudakshai, they were made to get in touch with the material world and, and do the business of the material world. So they, they are, those Vishnus are also from Krishna. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, it's, it, it's an important point, and there are various points made by the Gaudiya Acharyas to point to Krishna as a supreme personality. They've got it. In fact, they take ete chamsa kalapumsa and syntactically uh, analyze the verse to show how it's not possible that you could consider any other incarnation to be supreme according to the syntax of the verse. And these verses are not um, mistakenly created. They're perfect. And therefore, uh, the predicate is not named before the before the uh, subject. And so, uh, from various points of view, however, as Kaviraj Goswami points out in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, 
All of them are correct. If you say Vaman is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, yeah, okay. That's correct from your point of view. Uh, there, is, there are very um, systematic ways of explaining how Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But, you know, when, when, when this came up, sometimes uh, devotees would want to uh, push this point. Prabhupada said, same. The Ryan Krishna, same. Because unless you have some nuanced uh, information and, and attentiveness, the, uh, uh, you're able to be attentive to the, you know, the presentation, then uh, you can't come to that refined understanding anyway. So you should start with the basic understanding, which is Advaya Gyan Tattva. It's all one thing we're talking about. It's just in different divisions. Brahman, Paramatma, Bhagavan, and amongst uh, Bhagavan's incarnations, they're all the same. Because it's one person. How could it be different? Just in different moods. Like Narayan is going to work with a briefcase. Whereas Krishna, he's got bare feet and a flute. So, means Krishna doesn't have to work. So who's supreme? (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, also Goloka is an island. The most wealthy person has his, his own island. You have your own island, and what do you do there? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> you don't do anything, don't create anything. It's just art. It's just arts and crafts. Because <laughs> if you look at, if you look at Ananda Chinmaya Rasaprati Bhavitabhis Tabiriya Evan Tayakalabi, in that purport, described, what are, what are people doing in Goloka? What are they? Arts and crafts. How to, how to make beautiful garlands and... Uh, play different kinds of instruments and stuff like that. It's all play. It's all Leela. Okay, well, yes, oh, right. We had a couple more, and I'll, I'll try to be brief on these. Maharaj, um, this is a general question regarding the Krishna conscious moment. Um, it's predicted in the Shastra that uh, the Krishna consciousness moment will uh, uh, last for 10,000 years, next 10,000 years, and that will be a golden period. Now my question is, um, devotees like you and uh, you know other devotees who had seen Prabhupada and who met Prabhupada when when he was here on the on, on this on this planet, they are sincerely you know following the instructions of Srila Prabhupada and carrying the moment ahead. So what will happen to this moment after these great generals? depart this mortal world. Will this moment carry on with the same rigor and same sincerity and same enthusiasm or it will be like, you know, it, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about what will happen um, when these great generals leave us. That's what Prabhupada was concerned about too. Giri Rajmarsh tells in his book, I'll build you a temple. It's about the Mumbai project and much, much more. And to Prabhupada, when he was very ill and getting ready to leave, he said, it will go on. How will it go on? So Prabhupada mentions in the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam in his uh, purports that uh, <clears throat> one, should be, one should have some sense of fear. How will it go on? 
he mentions that actually it's the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that's going on in the first place. How can we do anything without him? So as long as there's somebody that's sincerely trying, it will go on. And there's no uh, s special, I mean, every devotee is special. And the parampara goes on because there's this touch between those who were there in the last generation and they pass the flavor on. It's something you don't get necessarily from the Veda base. You can say, I'll just, my guru is the Veda base and that'll be fine. Yeah, but what about the personal touch and the, you know, what you get from being around the person who was touched by the previous generation? Well, you know, all of the devotees that are now present are also touched because they're getting that same flavor and you can see it coming through also in their service, in your service. The way it's the same exuberance and the same internal energy coming through for you as came through for the devotees in 1971 or 68 or 76 or 77 even and so forth. And every person has a opportunity to uh, give him or her herself, that's part of the topic today, to the process of Krishna consciousness. So tag, you're it. You've got it now. And it it's actually a testament to the power of the parampara that those who are in the next generations, they carry it on even in a, in a grander fashion. They take, they, you know, there's no diminishment of the internal energy. It gets passed down through all the devotees. So it's not that it, it's like, okay, you're going to run an ethernet cable, 100 meters, that's as far as it goes. After that, you start losing the, <laughs> the, the signal. It's not like that. The signal stays strong. As long as there's one sincere person, then it'll stay strong. And if it's not, then Krishna will make some arrangement like he did in the Bhagavad Gita, yoga nashta parantapa. It, it got weakened. Now I'm going to strengthen it again. So he's always doing that at various intervals. And sometimes it disappears altogether. Like after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the whole thing went underground for some time until the Krishna sent great acharyas like Bhaktivinoda Thakur, Nartam Das, to bring it back out again. Okay, there was one last question, I think. Oh. Hare Krishna. And you had something. Okay, uh, Malini was next, and then there's somebody online, and it sounded like, was it Danavari? Danavari, okay. Yes, Guru Okay, it's Malini and then Danavari. Go ahead, Malini. I uh, want to make a quick one. Um, Wonderful points that you made earlier, Prabhu. Um, there's one thing that I wanted, I remember that you mentioned that we should have mentors in our life. Um, even though there is good instruction going on everywhere, unless you have a mentor who you follow and, and, and take the instruction and, and actually implement it, um, it becomes a little difficult, especially when we are going through difficult times like that Rashtra was going through. Uh, the same advice that Akrura gave, if he ratified with his mentor, probably he would have acted differently. So just wanted to add that point. There's such an important point, and it's one that comes up in the context of Bharat Maharaj. He was such a great soul. He went off by himself, didn't have any mentors. And then when he got attached to the deer, he could have called the Humane Society, but instead he decided to take the deer as a pet. But if you talk to his mentor, he could have Got a text message like, don't do it. 
and he would have been saved a little trouble. Okay, Danavari for the close. You're still on mute, Danavari. That's the name of my memoir for the pandemic, Talking on Mute. Mataji, you're on mute. Oh, sorry. Although it's preserved in the Akash record. Thank you. Sorry about that. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Are you in Vrindavan? You look like you're in Bhajan Kutir. I am. Actually, my house is renovating. I'm at some devotee's house living in a small... Yeah, I'm trying. Thank you. So... um, Thank you for the nice class. Uh, please accept my humble obeisances. Um, I just wanted to thank you for a wonderful class. Uh, very nice class. You covered so many points. Uh, all the doubts uh, have been cleared and very nice. Thank you so much for nice class. That's all I wanted to share. Hare Krishna. It was worth seeing you in your Bhajan Kutir. <laughs> Okay, Hare Krishna. Anyway, we came and discussed to the best of our ability. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. Vanchakalpadrivishcha, kripasana bevacha, patitanam pavanibhyo, vaishnavibhyo, namunamaha.